special music today was uh, Jimmy and Friends, it says. I guess Jimmy just doesn't have any friends. I guess that's what happened. Amen. <laughs> Jimmy's a pretty nice guy, so I'm not sure how that worked out. Amen. Open your Bibles with us, if you would, please, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. As I was uh, prayerfully considering what the first message for, oh, thank you, my microphone, but the first message for uh, 2017 would be, I just really felt led that we should just continue with the study that we're looking at in the book of James. Uh, I really do believe that there's a great benefit uh, to simply seeing what the Word of God says from one verse to another. As we would spend our time in the Word of God, we can begin to recognize that uh, it isn't about men's opinions, not even pastors. It is about, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says about these things. And we will benefit, each and every one of us will benefit wonderfully from trusting the God who gave us His Word and the Word that He has given us. Father, I ask You that You'd bless this time that we're about to spend together. Lord, I thank You that Your Word is quick and powerful. Lord, I ask You that You'd help, uh, help me to be able to express what You say here in such a way that Everyone that's listening now and those that will listen uh, in the future even. Lord, that everyone who hears this message would trust you more than they do before they start. Lord, that we'll understand how great and powerful you are and how you are able to work in the hearts and lives of men and women to conform us to the image of your Son. Father, we marvel at your son. We are grateful and thankful, not just that he came and lived a perfect life and laid down that life, but for what we see. As he said, if we see him, we see you, and we see how you behave. And Lord, the way you behave is not like us. And so, Lord, we ask you that you'd make us to behave like you instead. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to really understand uh, what we're seeing in James chapter 4, John read uh, all of James chapter 4. Uh, in our study, we are actually uh, in verse 11. Verse 11 is where we would, would actually be. Um, and uh, so if you want to uh, look at verse 11, uh, James chapter 4, verse 11, it begins, it says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. For he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But thou art, if thou art a judge of the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice 
in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, to understand what we're seeing here in James chapter 4 at the end of the chapter, we really do have to go back to the beginning of the chapter. And so we're going we're gonna to go back. We're going to read some more verses. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war that you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Now, beginning in verse 4, from verse 4 really all the way to verse 10, God says some pretty harsh words. Beginning in verse 4, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Now, in order to understand what's happening here, you need to go back to the end of chapter 3. Notice how this works. Go back to the end of chapter 3. In verse 13, we'll just pick up there. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, don't brag, and lie not against the truth. Stop being dishonest about your own heart. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now this helps us to understand, please hear me, because this is really important. American Christianity needs to understand that all fighting, all fussing, all selfishness is because we don't understand the Holy Spirit changing us on the inside. And see, if you're not changed on the inside, there are only two things that can be true about you if you're not changed on the inside. One, you're just not saved. You're just not a new creature. The other is that you are a new creature, but you are carnal. You do not understand why God has not only saved you. Listen, when he saved us and forgave us our sins, that's wonderful. That he's going to take us to, to heaven to be with him, that's wonderful. But it's not today. So, since he has saved me, I'll just use me. I can only use me. I don't want to talk about your life. Since he has saved me and I'm still here, why am I still here? Why am I still here? And the answer is, according to Acts chapter 1, right, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. 
Now, again, I've said this a great deal because this is such a tremendously misunderstood passage. What Jesus is saying when he says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, you shall receive power and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Listen, this is, what, this is what the average American Christian, maybe even the average Christian in the world, believes this means. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you'll suddenly be able to tell everything, everyone everything and you'll set everybody straight and that will give me glory. That's a, that's a joke. You felt that way before you were saved, right? You were already telling everybody everything and setting them all straight. Now you're just doing it religiously. This is not victory. This is not what God would have for us. This is very clear, right? right? It says, listen, if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't boast. Stop bragging that you're right. And stop lying about it. This wisdom descends not from above. It's earthly. In other words, this is what the world already has. And the world doesn't need our religious version of that. They have that already with people who are strapping bombs to their chest and walking around and killing a bunch of people, right? But, but listen, the average American Christian is not much different. They just do it with their words. And they do it in a building called the church, typically. And they raise, we raise such difficulties in, a, in, 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 a, in our lives that the world says, oh, that can't be what God is like. And praise God, it's not what God is like. It's not what God is like. That's why he says, don't glory. This is not okay. Don't be like this. The wisdom that's, now listen, just listen to this, this description again. The wisdom that is from above it's first pure. Now, here's the wonderful thing about what God gives. There is no mixture of worldliness in what God does. None. None. You know, the unfortunate truth about my preaching and teaching is my preaching and teaching cannot escape my personality, if you understand what I'm saying. So even though my whole desire is simply to speak the, the truth of the word of God in love and be a help to you this morning, it will fall short because I'm the one preaching, if you understand what I'm saying. But the word of God is still quick and powerful. Amen. And so if you will not listen to what I'm saying, but listen to what the word of God is saying to you, then God, who will use this quick, alive, alive, more alive than you and I are, this word is, this quick and powerful word to change you in your heart. And that's a victory. That's the victory that God wants to have in our lives. He doesn't want us to look good on the outside. Do you understand? He wants to make us Christ-like on the inside. That will spill out. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now listen to this. Please, please hear me. Start considering your life through this truth. And we're going to find it in literally chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, book after book after book after book in your Bible. And this is what it says. It's pure. Then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, to understand this, you need to go back to chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1. Verse 14, but every man is tempted, but every man, please hear me, this is important. Here's your problem. You want to know what your problem is? You. 
Okay? But every man is tempted when he is of his own and enticed. This is something, this is really important. It really is important. I can have a negative effect upon you. Do you understand? But I can't ruin your life. My lust can't ruin Silas's life. The only thing that can ruin Silas's life is Silas's lust. Do you understand? Whatever, whatever, listen, whatever your heart draws you away with, that's your downfall right there. Do you understand? Because you can simply not spend time around me if I'm a bozo. Just, I don't want to be around him. I just don't want to be around him. I, don't, I, have no, I have no hard feelings towards that guy, but being around him is not good for me. I don't think it's good for him, and it's not good for me. But I don't have to draw you away. It says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, to bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This is the pattern. This is what life is like. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Now, hear me. Here's this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, right? Listen, the wrath of man, arguing people, us fussing and fighting, does not work the wrath of God, right? Now let's go back. With that in mind, right? I mean, we're in the same book, yes? Go back to chapter three. Chapter three. The last verse that we read is, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, yes? Now go back to chapter three, verse 18, where we have this beautiful, beautiful powerful, changing Holy Ghost of God poured out into our lives. And notice what happens after this wisdom comes and fills our hearts and minds and the fruit of righteousness is sown, how? In peace. Of them that, what? Make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Not by you being right or me being right. Now listen, I really misunderstood this. You know, let me say this. When I was a baby Christian... I was saved when I was 22 years old, and I was not a godly man before I was saved. I don't want to talk about my life before I was saved. Sometimes I've made the mistake in my past of talking about my life before I was saved because I thought, well, it just will demonstrate how terrible a person you can be and God can still save you. But I don't want to talk about it because God is worthy of me just talking about how great he is. When I was saved... I was forgiven of a lot of things, and I knew it. Boy, boy, was I excited. I mean, you have no idea how excited I was when I realized that God would forgive me of my sins. I knew I was a sinner. I just didn't know that God would forgive me. And when I realized that he loved me, and that's why the Lord Jesus Christ came, boy, it thrilled my soul. And I was immediately, what's the word, humbled, humbled and excited about the goodness of God. And I was enamored with the love of God. And I really, if you'd ask me, if you'd ask me when I was 22 and a half years old, which is when I was saved, uh, what I thought the primary truth of the word of God was, I would have said the great, great love of God. I remember one of the men that I went to a Bible was on the Kennedy when I was saved. I remember, now, I remember one of the men that was at a Bible study that I was at. His name was Bob. It's not Bob Bornfleth. I can't think of this man's name. And uh, we were talking one day after the study was over, and he was an older Christian, and I was just a baby. And I was talking to him about the passage that we were looking at and the love of God in the passage, and he said, this is what he said. He said, brother, 
I believe heaven is one great big bubble of love. Now, for two sailors to be talking to each other like this, well, it's not as strange in the age in which we live, but it was very strange in the age in which I was living at the time. But it was the love of Christ. It was the love of Christ that saved me. The wrath of God did not save me. The wrath of God scared me, and it should. The holiness of God scared me, and it should. But it was the love of God that saved me. See, I was guilty, and I deserved the, the punishment that I had earned. I had no doubt that I deserved it, but that God would freely forgive me by, by, by sending, by giving. His own. The funny thing is everybody knows John 3.16, but almost nobody knows the power of John 3.16. This change was so wonderful that I really can say honestly I was just a very happy Christian. I was just a very happy Christian. Then I ran into other Christians, right? I got back from my cruise. And I went to churches, and I ran into other Christians. This, my, first, my first thought was this. Why are so many Baptists so unhappy? Why, why are they so unhappy? So I went to a charismatic church, because they go like this. Right? I thought, well, they're having a good time there. I'm going to go there. And I don't mean to be unkind. Somebody's going to think that was really um, unkind for the way I did that. Um, but I could do this at a rock concert. Do you understand? The problem, the problem with, with feel-good churches is what I realized is they didn't really feel good. This was just a kind of a show because I worked with these people that went to these churches and they were no happier on Monday and Tuesday than the Baptists that I had met. Do you understand? And so I, really, I was really puzzled, by, really, really puzzled by this. I'm still puzzled by this. I, I, honestly, I must confess, I do not understand why the average American Christian has no, or very little joy. Why there's a lot of whining and fighting. And, and again, you know, somebody came to me a few weeks ago, because this is what the passage says. I'm just preaching what the passage says. I didn't know there was any trouble like this at Tidewater. Well, there isn't, as far as I know. There isn't. But we're not a perfect people. All of us are subject to lust, yes? I mean, again, the word lust, when we say the word lust, everybody always thinks of sexual sin when you say the word. Lust just means passion. The word, by the way, the same word that's translated lust is translated passion when God has it. It just means strong desire. The problem with my strong desires is that they're fleshly often. Do you understand? The good thing is God's strong desires are great. God has tremendous strong desires, but they're holy. Do you understand? They're driven by the fact that God is love. And, it, and this is what he wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that I don't want you to behave religiously, fleshly, earthly. What I want is to change you that you could be, what does it say? And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, I need to say this. Uh, I do need to say this. Because in order to understand James, you really have to understand Hebrews. And I don't have time to go through all of this, but I do want you to see this. Um, go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The way your Bible is laid out, the last book of the pastoral epistles is the book of Philemon. It's the book before Hebrews. The book of Hebrews begins a different section in your Bible. It's the beginning of the reality epistles. The book of Hebrews explains the reality. Listen, hear me. Oh, let's just read. Let's just read, and then I'll explain it. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Let me put my glasses on because I'm reading out of my Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, so at in different times in, in various ways, 
spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, praise God, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who, the Lord Jesus Christ, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, our Lord Jesus Christ, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? Who paid for your sins? Jesus did. By himself. Period. The same one who paid for your sins by himself then sits down, all power, if you were here last night, all authority, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. He has all power. Here's the good news. In heaven, he ever liveth, Hebrews teaches us this, to make intercession for you and I. We ought to be able to live a victorious life with the Holy Ghost living within us, but we still fail, and we still need someone to ever intercede on our behalf. And praise God, the Lord Jesus is doing that. Satan is glad to point out just what a jerk you are all the time. Glad to. And right when he's doing it. I mean, I mean what I mean when I say he's right, he's right about you when he's pointing out what a jerk you are. He did this. She did that. You can't deny it. It's true. Do you understand? And, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And he pleads that blood for you over and over. This is not a license to sin. The reality is we do not have to live selfish lives. But when we have failed and we have failed, Christ intercedes for you. But that's just one of the two things that the high priest does. And you go, when you go back and study your Old Testament, you realize that the high priest brings things to God on behalf of men because they cannot approach God. Our Lord Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. But the other thing the priest, the, the priest did is he came out from God and pronounced a blessing upon the nation of Israel. A real blessing. By the way, at the, we call it a doxology. At the end of many sermons, at the end of many messages, at the end of many assemblies in religious Christianity, people will raise their hand and, and, and say a doxology. In other words, they'll tell you about the glory of God and they'll pronounce a blessing on the people. Well, nothing comes out of their hands when they do that. Do you understand that, right? There is no power that comes out from the man standing in the pulpit when that happens. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only intercedes on your behalf, he is pouring out because he's the great high priest. All of the pictures in the Old Testament are just pointing to the fact that there's only one, the anointed one, the, the high priest, the one who is anointed, who is able not only to go before God for you, but to come from God to you and pour out a whole new quality of life inside you. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. Now, the book of Hebrews makes this very, very clear. We don't have time to study it. Let's just go to the end of the book, right? Let's just go to the end of the book, chapter uh, 13, Hebrews chapter 13. Where God the Father and Son are, are clearly shown what they're wanting to do in your life. Notice what happens, verses 20 and 21. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Notice this. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? So here we see it. So listen, here. The first, the first reality epistle 
says, here's the reality. Jesus Christ by himself purged your sins. Jesus Christ by himself ever liveth to make intercession for you. And Jesus Christ by himself is pouring out a whole new quality of life into your life. Then you turn the page. My Bible, when I turn the page, I'm in the book of James. And in the book of James, what God is saying is this. I'm going to change your everyday life to be like this. Do you understand? Hear me, hear me, please hear me. Christians, for some reason, believe that this kind of wonderful power that God wants to pour out in our lives is an exceptional event that happens once or twice or three, seven times maybe in your entire life as a Christian. That is not true. That is not true at all. The book of James is making it very clear from the very beginning. If God has changed you, he's changing you every day. And he is pouring out this whole new quality of life in your everyday life. This is why we don't have to be tempted and drawn away of our own lusts. Because the Holy Ghost, you know, this is something, I don't remember when, I don't remember who said this to me, but it helped me tremendously. It might have been in a book that I was reading. But this is, this is, and I've said it to many people since then, and this I think will help you. The same, listen, hear me, the same temptation that you have never conquered, the same temptation that you have never conquered, you have never had victory over in your life, that same temptation, Jesus has never lost to it once. Not once. And here's the good news. If the Holy Ghost lives within you, then he won't lose it today if you'll let him fight the battle instead of you yourself. The same thing that you do in your flesh over and over and over again, no matter, Romans chapter 7, no matter how many times you double down, no matter how hard you try, for the will is present with me, but how to perform it, I what? Find not. It's just not present for me to be able to have conquering victory over this. Well, praise God, it is for Jesus. Amen? And since, and since the Holy Ghost was sent to live within us, now hear me, listen, so that you would have power. Not the power to talk about Jesus, but the power to be so changed that people see the change in you and say, hey, what happened to you? And the answer is this. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. And this is their question. Do you think he could do it for me? Yep. I know he could do it for you because he did it for me. Amen. That's power. When Jesus said, and you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, it's not the power to talk a lot. That's not what it is. It is the power to be changed in the inward man to such a degree that people see us not fussing, fighting, arguing, envying, having strife, having confusion, having selfishness. No, no, no. That's not what God wants to do in our life. That's not what he's doing at all. God has, listen, please hear me. And this is so, if you don't have this, please, if you don't have this, understand one of two things is wrong. You're just not born again. You're, you're, you might just not be born again. You, you say, well, oh, no, I remember. I cried hard. I remember. I walked an aisle. I remember. I said the prayer. I got baptized. I've been tithed. I've been given missions. I know I'm okay. Yeah. Talk to Patty Crump about, after the service about that, right? I mean, you don't mind me saying that, right, Patty? Talk to her about that. The daughter of missionaries who had done so many, you know, VBSs all of her life, all of these tremendous ministry things, and what, three years ago now? Three years ago now, got saved. And what she was convicted about was her own pride. And that's what stops all of us from true salvation. Because God gives grace. It's in the passage that we're not going to get to today. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists. The proud. And it's in, that's, in, that's in chapter 4 of James. We'll get to it. Not next week. I won't be here. But the following week, we'll get to that uh, more. What I want you to understand in James chapter 4 is this. When you read, let's go to verse 4. James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Boy, God sounds really mean, doesn't he? 
Isn't that a hard thing to say? I mean, literally, think about this. He's calling people, well, I can't use the word. I mean, he's calling us pretty not nice things, right? But he's not talking to his children. He, listen, hear me. He's talking to those who are going to church, who are not new creatures, who are comfortable raising a fuss in the church. And he says, don't look, you love the world, right? That's what it says. It says, that's what it says. Where is it right in verse four? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. What is he talking about when he says friendship of the world, right? Go back, go back to verse 15 of chapter three. For the wisdom that, for this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is what? Earthly, sensual, devilish. Listen to me, listen, hear me. Please hear me. This is, this is, this is what God wants us to understand. Your hour. Our selfishness is devilish, always. That is not Christianity. It's not Christ, and it's not the church. That's not, that's not what God wants for us. And what he's saying is this. Those that think this is okay, you're not, you don't have a relationship with me. You have a relationship with the world. You just go to church. Now, I, I, I really, I say this honestly. I don't know if this is true for anybody in the room. I, I really don't know. Um, I do know that we have seen a lot of people who had a profession of salvation who didn't seem to have any joy or victory in their life. Who, who again, I have no reason to doubt you. You know, people, we have a lot of people who get saved after they join our church, right? Which either means I do a lousy job when I meet with them and hear their testimony of salvation, or you're really good liars, one or the other, right? And the truth, listen, hear me. The truth of the matter is both of those things are true. I am, I want, when you tell me you're safe, I want you to be saved, right? You know what's, you know, have you, have you ever talked to a parent who talks to you about their child that they just know their child is saved? Yeah, I know they cut that guy's head off yesterday, but I just know that they're deep in their heart, they're a good Christian. Right? Wow, that's really odd because the evidence seems to be contrary to that. Yes? No? Well, we're even more like that with ourselves, but God, wants to, God is saying, stop lying about this. If you're not a new creature, you're not a new creature. And if you are, listen, if you really are a new creature and you don't have this whole new life, you're being cheated out of your birthright, out of what God wants you to have. And he says, I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. It's what I want to do. It is what I'm doing. I want this to be true in your life and I'm going to make it true in your life. That's what the word of God is saying. Now notice, let's, 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 let's go back to chapter 4 for just a moment. Let's go, and we're not going to get a chance to get into uh, verse 11 and on. But what I want you to see is this. Verse 5. Do you think that the scripture said in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now you might want to circle that word lust. Now this is, a really, this is a really important thing. Because remember, we've already seen this word lust a great deal in this book. And again, what does lust mean? It'll help you. What does lust mean? Strong desire. Just say that. that remember, remember it this way in your mind. Lust means strong desire. Now, it can be inordinate. In other words, it can be a desire you should not have. But lust simply means strong desire, right? You, the guy drives by, by you. You're, you're sitting in your car, and the guy, and he's driving a Lamborghini. And, and, and women don't care about Lamborghinis, but men do for some reason. That's how they sell them, right? And so they drive by, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I had that Lamborghini. You probably don't want his life. Even if you want his car. Do you understand? So all it is is a strong desire. But notice what it says here. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain? Now what God is saying is this. When you love the world, when the church loves the world, it, it brings about this emotion in God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? This is a tremendous truth. This is, this is it. Do you understand 
let me just explain two books to you quickly. Uh, the book of Hosea. Anybody have any idea what the central message of the book of Hosea is? Hosea, this is it. God is brokenhearted over his whoring people. And I have to say it that way. That's the way the book says it. God is brokenhearted over his whoring people. And the book of Joel says this, and he's strong enough to do something about it. Amen? And he's strong enough to do something about it. When God looks into the church and he sees fighting and fussing and worldly things, he says, oh, no, 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 no. I love you guys too much for this. I love you guys too much for this. And I'm going to make the change. That's what it says. He, it, he lusteth to envy. God, listen, I'll tell you, I thank God. You are, you, if you're a husband, you are jealous of your wife. You are. You are jealous. You are jealous of your, oh, it's amazing how jealous fathers are of their daughters. It's amazing. Now, only a few times in my life since I've been saved have I made a fist. And they had to do with either my, somebody hurting my wife or my daughter. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, you can't hurt my wife or my daughter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and now listen, now I can do this in an ungodly way. But I tell you right now, when someone hurts the church of God, he makes a fist because he loves us. And he wants to rescue us from that, right? You go back and you look at how God speaks to Moab when Moab treats Israel inappropriately. He says to Moab, I'm, I'm just going to pummel you. You can't touch my people like that. You can't treat my people like that. So understand this. God, I'm telling you, you, I don't think any of us have any idea how great God's love is for us. How much he wants to set us free. Listen, be set free. Don't fight with God. Be set free, right? What's it say? Glory not and lie not about this. Let, if you're a child of God behaving in a carnal way, confess it. Repent of it. Let God forgive you of it and set you free. If you're not a child of God and you just want your way, stop. Stop. Don't make God have to get upset with you because of his love for his children. Do you understand? This is really wonderful what God wants to accomplish in our life. It is God that does this. Notice, now notice so after this lusting to envy, verse 6, because what does this look like? When God works mightily, when he is, when he is a concerned about something that's going on, and God works mightily, what does it look like? And the answer is, and the furniture starts flying, and God goes into a holy rage. That's not what it says. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God, giveth, God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore. Amen? He gives more grace. All you have to do is just be honest. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? I mean, isn't it wonderful that all God is asking for any of us is that we'll just be, just be honest. I'll help you. I'll help you. Now, I'm going to pretend I'm better than I am. Well, I can't help you then. The, the word resist, uh, when I studied this many years ago, uh, the way I understood this word best, I, it probably had to do with, with, it was probably football season when I was studying this. The word resist, the idea behind it is the idea of a stiff arm, Right? The idea of a stiff arm. So picture, I don't know if anybody, those of you who understand sports will understand the idea of a stiff arm, okay? So God resists the proud. But it isn't, I always picture it as God holds at a distance those that are proud. But there's actually more aggression in it to that. It actually is more like God punches you in the chest if you're proud. And the idea is this, you can't be close to me in your arrogance. You can't be close to me. But he says, but he gives grace, right? That's what it says. It says, God resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Listen, hear me. Please hear me. God does not want to stiff arm anybody. 
God is not willing that any should perish. Judgment is his strange work. This is not what God wants for anyone. What God wants to be able to do is to forgive and heal and help every one of us. He really, truly does. All we have to do is be honest about it. That's all we have to do is be honest about it. Now, in a couple weeks when we come back, we'll, we'll probably pick up in verse 11. Uh, now, by the way, look at, the, uh, at the verse 10. We'll end with verse 10. Why not, right? It's a nice summary. Begin the year with a nice summary. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Isn't that wonderful? By the way, the verse above that says, Be afflicted and mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. If there's something wrong, be honest about it. Be honest about it. Don't pretend. Don't lie. Don't laugh when you should cry. Cry. God will pick you up. Amen? And I'll tell you what, when God picks you up, it'll change everything.